Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Alcatelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever, and this is episode 119. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash theweekindoubt. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. As I mentioned last week, a listener who goes by the name of Heresy recently signed up. Thanks again, by the way. So we've got the ball rolling. If anyone else out there is thinking of signing up for an Audible trial membership, please do so through the audible.com slash theweekendout URL. Uh, All right, and thanks in advance. And now, lest I make a liar out of myself, I'll finally catch up on the Twitter shoutouts. Okay, first up, we have Chris. Just Chris. Then we have Cthulhu Speaks. Or is it Cthulhu? I've read all the Lovecraft stories, and to this day I still don't know if it's Cthulhu or Cthulhu. Uh, then we have Nick Tyrone, Claudette Melanson. Hmm. The name sounds familiar. Not sure if I gave her a shout-out before. Omen Cage. That one sounds familiar, too. Uh, Michael Arnold. Skeptical at I Apparel. Uh, it sounds like I just gave someone a plug, but why not? They're fellow skeptics. Paula Stewart. Atheist Nick. Interwomble. Interwomble sounds familiar too. I think that's it for now. I may have lost a few followers. I hate when that happens. Probably just spammers, but uh, anyway, I'll try not to get too neurotic about it and uh, on with the show. All right, let's do some news stories. Uh, I'll start with a story that I didn't even plan on covering at first, but so compelling and timely, I figured it deserved to be included. Uh, I'm someone who prides himself on having at least a layman's knowledge of comparative or world religion, but I have to admit I don't think I ever heard of the Yazidi until they made the news this past week. The Yazidi are a minority group in Iraq with a fascinating religion with some elements that stem back thousands of years. Their belief system draws upon a number of influences, including Zoroastrianism and even Gnostic Christianity. They're essentially monotheistic, but you could say they almost border on polytheism. The Yazidi have a reverence for a collection, for lack of a better term, angelic beings, the most prominent of which is known as the Peacock Angel. Yes, I did just say Peacock Angel. And just to keep it real and give credit where credit is due, I first heard about the Yazidi and the Peacock uh, Angel story from the Young Turks. But I find this idea of a Peacock Angel and the Yazidi religion in general to be fascinating. The Peacock Angel... um, Maybe that should be the drinking game of the week. Remember back in the old days, whenever I would repeat something too much, I'd say it should be a drinking game. Um, But the peacock angel's name in Arabic is Melek Taus, uh, M-E-L-E-K-T-A-U-S, and I probably still butchered it, which appropriately enough translates to peacock angel. Now here's where things get really interesting. It seems that some Muslims consider the Yazidi devil worshippers because there's some similarities between Melek Taus and Satan or Shatan uh, in Islam. Similar to the devil in Christian and Islamic tradition, the peacock angel is said to have refused to submit to God's will by bowing before Adam. Sometimes the name Shatan is actually used for Melek Taus by Yazidi and their detractors alike, although as I understand it, Yazidi are not supposed to speak it aloud for fear of persecution. Despite this, the peacock angel is seen by the Yazidi as a good and benevolent being without any of the negative connotations connected with the devil in Christianity and Islam. 
But the stigma of being quote-unquote devil worshippers has in part served as an impetus for the violent Islamic militant group ISIS to persecute the Yazidi, driving the minority group up onto a mountaintop, and now there's disturbing reports that ISIS has captured hundreds of Yazidi women. Uh, I'll read a little from a HuffPost article. And it's entitled, Hundreds of Yazidi Women Held Captive by Islamic State. Baghdad AP, hundreds of women from the Yazidi religious minority have been taken captive by Sunni militants with quote-unquote vicious plans, an Iraqi official said Friday. Further underscoring the dire plight of Iraq's minorities at the hands of the Islamic State group. Kamil Amin, the spokesman for Iraq's Human Rights Ministry, said hundreds of Yazidi women below the age of 35 are being held in schools in Iraq's second-largest city, Mosul. He said the ministry learned of the captives from their families. And here's a quote. We think that the terrorists by now consider them slaves and they have vicious plans for them, Amin told the Associated Press. We think that these women are going to be used in demeaning ways by those terrorists to satisfy their animalistic urges in a way that contradicts all the human and Islamic values. The U.S. has confirmed that the Islamic State group has kidnapped and imprisoned Yazidi women so that they can be sold or married off to extremist fighters, said a U.S. official who spoke on condition of anonymity because the information came from classified intelligence reports. There was no solid estimate of the number of women victimized, the official said. Tens of thousands of Yazidis fled when the Islamic State group earlier this month captured the northern Iraqi town of Sinjar, near the Syrian border. The Yazidis practice an ancient religion that the Sunni Muslim radicals consider heretical. The extremist group's capture of a string of towns and villages in the north has sent minority communities fleeing for their lives. The Islamic State views Yazidis and Shiite Muslims as apostates and has demanded Christians either convert to Islam or pay a special tax. About 50,000 Yazidis, half of them children according to UN figures, fled to the mountains outside Sinjar where many of them remain, trapped and running out of food and water. Late Thursday, the U.S. military cargo jets dropped humanitarian aid to the mountains. Amin's comments were the first Iraqi government confirmation that some women were being held by the group. On Tuesday, Yazidi lawmaker Vian Dakil, hope I didn't butcher that, made an emotional plea in Parliament to the Iraqi government to save the Yazidi people, saying the women have been sold in a slavery market. President Barack Obama said the humanitarian airdrops were made at the request of the Iraqi government as the Islamic State militant group tightened its grip on northern Iraq. In his remarks late Thursday, he mentioned chilling reports of fighters with the group rounding up families, conducting mass executions, and enslaving Yazidi women. The UN Security Council issued a statement Friday condemning targeted attacks against Iraq's minorities, adding that any widespread attacks against civilian populations based on ethnic, religious, or political background may be considered a crime against humanity for which those responsible must be held accountable. Well, I hope I didn't bore you too much with uh, my recitation of that news story. But I'm glad that the Yazidi have been receiving humanitarian aid from us. Uh, I believe President Obama ordered a military strike against ISIS as well. In his words, or to paraphrase, to help prevent a genocide. And actually, I think over the past few days, there, there have been a couple of strikes on ISIS where they are positioned at the bottom of the mountain, at the top of which the um, Yazidi were uh, 
taking refuge. But the Yazidi are fascinating people with a fascinating culture, and I hope they fare well through all this. And I'm so fascinated by the peacock angel that um, I half-jokingly say, you know, if I didn't have these deeply ingrained atheistic uh, inclinations, I might be tempted to worship the peacock angel myself. Uh, he's kind of like a good Satan, uh, if that makes sense. But anyway, uh, and also on a lighter note, maybe it's the Italian in me, but whenever I say Yazidi, I think of Zidi, like the pasta. Uh, but I know I shouldn't joke, it's a very serious story. Uh, but now on to the next one. As crazy as it sounds, it looks like British police are searching for the Holy Grail. And this is a uh, Reuters story uh, by William James, and it's entitled... British police raid crown in pub in search of the Holy Grail. British police raided an English country pub this week in search of a stolen wooden relic believed by some to be the Holy Grail, a cup from which, according to the Bible, Jesus is said to have drunk at his final meal before crucifixion. And you might notice a questioning tone in my voice as I read that. It's just because the, the legend of the Holy Grail is a later phenomenon. There is a cup mentioned in the Bible, but nothing about... Uh, Arthur and his knights or any uh, magical properties uh, imbued into the cup, as, as far as I'm aware. The Grail legend is something that developed later on. But obviously at the root of it is the um, idea that that cup that Jesus did drink from at the Last Supper um, was imbued with some kind of uh, holy power in some accounts. And not to get too Joseph Campbell on you, but the uh, Holy Grail can be seen as a... Uh, number of things. Um, the goal of a quest. Uh, then, of course, I have issues with uh, Dan Brown and his Da Vinci Code and the way he kind of bastardizes uh, history. But it, I, I believe, um, according to Dan Brown and also the authors of Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and I think that book actually partially inspired Dan Brown to write the Da Vinci Code. There's this belief that the Grail isn't actually a cup, but it's um, the bloodline of Christ, and that Jesus had a child uh, with Mary Magdalene and all this uh, strange apocryphal stuff. Uh, but anyways, I'll continue with the story. The Grail has captivated religious experts for centuries, spawning myriad theories about its location and inspiring numerous fictional accounts from the Middle Ages onwards. The object of the police search, which was unsuccessful, was a frail wooden bowl known as the Nantius Cup. I actually think I heard of that long ago. I think I uh, remember the Nantius Cup from like a... Um a History Channel documentary or something. But anyway, uh, that has been attributed with healing powers since the 19th century, attracting pilgrims and others who believe it may be the Holy Grail itself. I wonder if that's the... I keep interrupting myself. I wonder if that... I know there's some cup thought to be the Holy Grail that pilgrims would go and sip from it, and while they were doing so, they would bite off little pieces of it and, uh, you know, in a way to in try to orally incorporate some of the Grail's power or what, or healing properties or whatever. And um, it had been going on for so long that the uh, bowl had actually started to become kind of eroded or literally chewed away. Um, but anyway, after receiving a tip-off, a team of eight officers and a police dog arrived on Sunday morning at the Crown Inn, a village pub in the rural English county of Herefordshire. I think that's how you pronounce it. 
Here's a quote. They turned the place upside down. They came with fiber optic cameras to look at all the corners and nooks and crannies and under the floorboards. They were clearly serious about it, the pub's landlady, Di Franklin, said. Police said the relic, a dark wooden cup kept inside a blue velvet bag, had been stolen from a house in the area about a month ago. Photographs available online show a bowl-shaped vessel with around half its side missing. Maybe that is the one that kept getting uh, chewed on. Um, we get a few rogues and scallywags in the pub, but no one who's quite on the level of stealing a a priceless ancient artifact, Franklin said. The cup takes its name from Nantius Mansion, a county house in Wales, where the vessel is reported to have been stored until 1952, after 16th century monks fleeing King Henry VIII's dissolution of the English monasteries sought refuge there. The cup was said to have been brought to Britain after Jesus' death by Joseph of Arimathea, the biblical figure who provided Christ with a tomb and, according to legend, brought Christianity to Britain. Scientists who have examined the cup have said it almost certainly dates from many centuries after the crucifixion, and it's not made of the olive wood that might have been expected for a Middle Eastern drinking vessel. Of course. Um, on the one hand, I wanted to cover that one because I love myth and legend, even though I'm a non-believer. And on the other, I just thought it was a funny story. I was going to do one other story, but upon closer inspection, it's not quite what I thought. I thought it was a story about a non-believer who was forcing their kids to go to church. But apparently, she's merely a lapsed Christian forcing her kids to attend church. She wrote the HuffPost article herself. I was going to read a bit from it, but I found it kind of long-winded and self-indulgent, said the guy who hosts a podcast. Um, but it does touch on a pet peeve of mine, people who have either stopped believing or who have just abandoned religion, but nevertheless still somehow come to the conclusion that the moral or ethical thing to do is to indoctrinate their children. I think maybe it stems in part from the faulty idea that morality comes from religion, or maybe they're afraid of their kids having to face the idea that there may not be a god, or maybe it just has to do with bending to social or familial pressures and expectations. But in my opinion, they should also consider all the baggage they're putting on their kids, religious guilt and angst, the disappointment when you finally realize the man-made nature of religion, etc. Um... But all that being said, uh, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. As always, you can like the show on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and look for The Week in Doubt. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel. You can go to Podbean and check out the archives and the most recent episodes. Just go to Podbean and do a search for The Week in Doubt. If you're feeling generous, you can use the PayPal widget to help donate to the show's upkeep as little as 99 cents. You can also... Pledge 99 cents a month, or is it a dollar a month? I don't know, one penny difference. Uh, by going to Patreon and just look me up, Phil Albertelli, or maybe it's under Philip with one L, in uh, the Weekend Out page should come up. And the show's also on Stitcher now. Um, so I think I got all my little shameless plugs in there. Okay, so until next week, as always, thanks for listening.